I was the one who was coming home and crying on the couch because I wondered why I had to come home without my babies. You know, why didn't I have, like, the, the normal pregnancy? And I, I dwelled on that a bit. When you imagine the arrival of your child after nine months of pregnancy, what are your expectations about coming home? I'm Gretchen Miller and welcome to Navigating Parenthood, brought to you by HCF. Those of us who've had children, and I'm one, might recall we barely thought about what happens after. And if you're expecting, perhaps you haven't thought about it either. You'll be heading home after a few days, won't you? And that's pretty common, but not for Lee Strong and her husband Tristan, who in 2016 were expecting twins. In the womb, the twins were sharing a placenta, and at 26 weeks, the scans were looking good. But at 28 weeks, there was a change. The growth of one, Elsie, had slowed. Lee ended up in a hospital without a neonatal care unit, or NICU for short so was given steroids to bulk up the twins' lungs so she could get to a hospital with the right facilities. It wasn't till 102 days after the birth that Lee and Tristan were able to return home with babies Elsie and Lily, and they're now two years old. So today we're talking about what happens when the birth doesn't go to plan. In just a minute, we'll hear from Maddie O'Connor, a midwife and NICU nurse, and Lee Strong. But first, just a note, this podcast contains general health information and should not be relied on as medical advice about your situation. HCF does not adopt or endorse any statements or opinions made during the podcast. Talk to your doctor for health advice and services. And if you're feeling depressed or anxious and need to talk to someone now, call Lifeline on 131114. Now then, Lee, let's talk a bit about what happened after that time. Once the babies were born, what were your first thoughts about the situation? Uh, it was very scary to start with because I didn't know anything about having a premature baby. It wasn't even really something I considered, even though it was a high-risk pregnancy. It was all a bit of a blur and quite a confusing time once I left the hospital and we had to get into that routine. And, and what was it like to give over complete control to basically strangers? Because you hadn't been working with these doctors and midwives up until that point. To give over your twins before you'd actually even met them. Yeah, it was, that was hard. It took a couple of weeks for me to realise that the staff are really just there to help in every way they can. I remember the first day I felt like I'd, I'd done something wrong and I actually went back to the delivery suite and cried to one of the nurses up there because it was just all so new to me and, yeah, yeah. it was quite upsetting. I can, I can just imagine. So how long before you actually laid your hands on your babies? So it was 11 days before I got to hold Elsie and then it was 30 days before I got to hold Lil. Right, and Elsie was the one who was actually smaller. Elsie was the smaller one. She was born 775 grams and Lily was born 950 grams. And things were pretty serious for Lily then? It was, yeah. She got an infection in her lungs a couple of weeks in and it went 
downhill pretty fast. <laughs> and it was, it was sort of like a, a real sort of touch and go for a couple of weeks where essentially at that time, I just, I guess I wanted to know what her chances were. And I remember asking one of the nurses and she said, basically, we've done all we can for Lily and it's just up to her to fight at this stage. And that was really sort of scary for me to hear. Well, on that rather suspenseful and terrifying note, Maddie, to you. So as a midwife, your job doesn't stop when the baby is born. You stay in touch with the mothers. This scenario that Lee's describing wouldn't be uncommon, would it? It's um, something that you would see reasonably often, particularly with twins. What are the percentages there? Yeah, so interestingly in Australia, about 60% of twins end up having some time in the nursery or NICU. And the nursery is divided into various levels, level one, two, and three. Level three is where the babies are requiring ventilation support, so their breathing is not necessarily as good as, as it is when they're born at term. And level two mainly focuses on feeding and growing. Your baby is well, but it needs to be looked after in the nursery for a little bit longer and monitored. And level one is almost going home. And Lee's twins experienced all three of those levels. How do you observe parents responding? What kind of world are they inhabiting at that point? So when you first walk into a nursery or a NICU, it looks like a hive of activity. There are so many staff members and there's cribs and cribs of babies lined up. Everyone's walking around the place on a mission, basically looking after the little tribe of babies that we have in there at that time. And it feels very busy. Everyone's moving around you. I can imagine as a, I've never had a baby myself, but I can imagine even the first time I walked into the nursery when I was a brand new nurse, it was a little bit intimidating. It feels a bit overwhelming. Yeah, it was. It really was. <laughs> How did you feel when you walked into that NICU? Um, yeah, confused. And I guess I, I, it was at that point where I had to look to the staff for help and advice and what to expect and that support. And did you feel that you got enough support? I did. I wish I looked into more support though. Like I didn't join any of the sort of premature baby groups that were about. I sort of closed myself off from, from all that. That's one thing I'd probably do differently if I, if I did it again. Maddie, do you look out for mothers who perhaps shut themselves off? Absolutely. I mean, yes, the majority of our job is to look after the clinical side of this baby's health, but our baby can't live without its mum and its dad. And we want to make sure that the parents are experiencing this journey the best they can in an incredibly difficult situation. We try really hard to form good relationships with our parents and we try and individualise care as much as we can to suit their family's needs because not every family, you know, perhaps they've got toddlers at home or perhaps they're from a different culture, perhaps they're an older mum and it's their very first baby. We've got to look out for the uniqueness that is parenthood in individual people. And that's why a lot of the hospitals in Australia try quite hard to really back up the mental side of this situation. We do social work referrals and there's quite a few organisations, as Lee said, that are specifically catered for the parents in this in this situation. And I think now in this modern age of technology, taking to the online chat groups is now a new a new form of discussing it. 
Lee, you'd had this big shock. You did close yourself off a bit. Did you look after yourself at all at this time? Did you have family come in and say, actually, you really need to have a sleep now or here's a foot massage and so on? I did. We had we had friends that cooked for us and um, left us frozen meals because we were back and forth from the hospital. And actually, it was quite because my husband and I only have one car, so my parents would follow me to the hospital as I drove my car. I'd be at the hospital for X amount of hours and then they would follow me back to my husband's work. I'd leave the car there for my husband and they'd drive me home and then my husband would get in the car and go to the hospital and do his shift. So we did have a lot of support. Maddie, I wonder whether you see an increase in resilience from parents or do they become progressively more exhausted? A hundred days is a very long time to spend in the nursery, but it's not an uncommon story. We normally say that if your baby is born premature, they're about ready to go home and graduate from the nursery around your original due date. So a lot of people whose babies are born at 28, 29 weeks or before do spend a hundred days in the nursery. And you can imagine running a 100-kilometre race. It's very long (laughs) and it's very demanding. And some days with your baby, you'll feel like you're taking three steps forward and then potentially five back. The babies have a mind of their own, as your little girls did, and we can't always depict what they're going to do. Unfortunately, little babies can get sick very, very quickly and we're making split-second decisions and we're calling the parents to come in. Other days they'll fly through the nursery and potentially skip level two and straight from three to one. Mm. And, you know, they're the days that we really enjoy and we really try and celebrate those milestones with the parents in a really positive way. You're with Navigating Parenthood, the podcast which is all about you, brought to you by HCF. We'd love to hear what you think about the podcast, so leave us a review wherever you're listening and tell your friends to check out the show. Lee, what were you and Tristan saying to one another during the time you were in hospital? How were you communicating? He was very supportive during that time. It was sort of like we knew that we just had to take it one day at a time. But when you say supportive, I mean, that implies, well, I guess you are the primary one. You're the one having to do the breast pumping, aren't you? Yeah. But were you supporting each other? Um, Look, Tristan, he's not one to be quite open with his feelings. So I think there was more support there for me. I was the one who was coming home and crying on the couch because I wondered why I had to come home without my babies. You know, why didn't I have like the the normal pregnancy? And I, I did quite, I dwelled on that a bit. What happened with Tristan? So we brought the girls home in November and then in about December, well, before that, Tristan sort of started closing himself off We were doing night feeds. They were becoming increasingly hard because he wasn't coping with getting up at night and um, I guess his behaviour was just he'd get upset or angry or snippy for no reason. So I knew that there there was something bothering him and it takes a lot for me to get info out of him at times. And once I did, he told me he was actually having suicidal thoughts. So that came as a shock because I would have hoped that if my husband was struggling that much that 
he'd be able to speak to me of all people. So once I knew that he was struggling, I obviously sent him off to the doctors. <laughs> but at that point, he sort of offloaded to the doctor. The doctor did suggest a mental health plan, but he didn't follow through with it. And I guess that was sort of the start for a bit of a downward spiral for, for both of us, yeah. Like, I think the whole trauma of this birth, it really did trigger something uh, in both of us mentally. Maddie, if Lee had said, I'm feeling depressed, I don't feel like I'm coping, that there would have been some procedures to give her extended care. Yeah, well, if, if Lee's babies were still in the nursery at that time and we were dealing with significant mental health problems with the parents, that would be an automatic referral through our hospital system to ensure that it was followed through very, very quickly. But in terms of follow-up when you go home, I think some parents experience a little bit of a shock to the system because you've been in this routine coming into the nursery for 100 days and all of a sudden it's, okay, you can take your babies home tomorrow, come in and have a practice night. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then off you go, have you got your car seats? And all of the emotions that have been pent up because you've just been in this endless busy cycle of, of your routine of coming into the nursery get unleashed. And that's when it's really important to take advantage of the social net of your network, your friends, your family and everyone that's around you that, that wants to support you. But again, it's incredibly difficult and it's an incredibly challenging time after a journey that is very, very emotionally draining. Do you think that dads get as much attention as perhaps they need? I mean, of course, we've been talking about Tristan as a dad, but we can equally apply any of these issues to a female partner or a support partner if a woman is having a baby on their own. So I'm just wondering about those partners and fathers that you see in the NICU and how much support they get. I think We've come a little way from where we were with dads originally, but still I think we do get caught up with the mum being the, the primary carer just because she is the feeder and she and she is she is the, the provider of the nutrition uh, if she chooses to breastfeed. But there's plenty of roles a father can play whilst they're in the nursery, particularly doing the baby's cares where they come in and do the nappy, give the baby a small wash, uh, change their monitors over, uh, reposition them if they're in the box. And fathers can participate in doing skin to skin just as much as mothers can. So we really try and alternate the cuddles between mother and father to ensure that they're, they're bonded with their baby. So, Lee, you came home after just over three months. Then what happened? Then we struggled to find our feet. We struggled with juggling two kids. You know what I mean? We had the help in, in the nursery and I think it did. It really hit us sort of like a freight train that on our own now and going to have to manage. So two healthy babies with two healthy sets of lungs and two healthy functioning bladders and all the rest of it, the nappies you would have had to go through. Oh, yeah, a lot of nappies. <laughs> I, I think I, at that point, um, even with the help that I was given, I did, again, sort of pass up on a lot of help because Tristan took a month off work uh, once the girls came home and I knew that he was going to go back to work and I knew I was going to have to take care of two babies myself. So 
when I was offered help, I, I needed to know that I could do it by myself. And yeah, I, I did refuse a fair bit of help, <laughs> which probably didn't help to my stress levels. Um, Would you do it differently now? Um, or is it part of your essential nature? To uh, it's, <laughs> it probably is a part of my nature as well. But yeah, I would take more help and I would seek more support for sure. All these sort of things building up over time did contribute to where essentially my relationship with my husband has ended up. You might not want to talk about that. Um, it's not something I don't want to talk about. I'm not proud of it a lot of the time. We, we essentially just forgot about each other. We didn't have time to nurture our relationship. Um, it was just all baby focused, you know. That's easy for anyone to do, let alone parents of twins, I think. Had you considered the impact of children, especially once you realised that you had two, what it would do to your relationship? Never. Who, who does? Never. Yeah, it was never something I considered. I did say to my mum, I did ask her one time, I said, why didn't you tell me that having kids would ruin my marriage? <laughs> and then she said to me, would you have ever had children if I'd have told you that? So, And you probably would have. I would have. Maddie, does anyone think about this? Having children is the most, if not, you know, one of the most significant thing you'll ever do in your life. And unfortunately for the parents whose babies end up with us, it can drastically change your relationships around you. And that significant moment is drastically different to your best friend who had a baby and went home after two nights. And unfortunately, we do compare ourselves all the time and we do forget when you're in the midst of something so significant to look at the big picture. But it's very, very difficult when you're watching from the sidelines as a support person to step in. You know, if I had a friend who, who I thought was, was struggling, you want to immediately go and help them. But sometimes you don't quite know how to help them or what to say or what might be the best approach. Finally, a question to each of you. Lee, what advice would you give a new mum who potentially might be at risk of ending up with their babies in the nursery, in the neonatal intensive care unit? You know, we've gone to some dark places here. Not everybody ends up in those dark places, but it's a really good idea to be prepared, I think, don't you? What, yeah. what advice would you give? Well, firstly, take as much help and support as you can. I think... If I was to go back and do it again, I would definitely write a journal. I would definitely take more photos. In the beginning, I was sort of scared to take photos and videos, especially share those with people because I didn't want them to judge how the girls looked. It's just, it really is looking after yourself and accepting help. But, I mean, I think you can also fall into the trap of comparing but in the end, I think the point is, is that even though there are statistics and figures floating around, you know, your baby has its own chances and you need to look after yourself. Okay. I think as well, parents definitely get quite into Dr. Google, particularly when you are in this intensive medical environment and people are mentioning words you've never even heard before. And I'm just going to quickly Google that because I have no idea what they just said. And then you get onto all sorts of websites and it can be a dangerous game to play. And we 
as staff, I know we really try and recommend to just stay off the internet <laughs> because your baby is not what happened to that baby in Florida. And it's really important to stay focused on on the medical team that, that are looking after your baby, that see your baby every minute of the day, and not get too excited about researching themselves. Would that be your best advice for listeners carrying twins who um, might be thinking about a few things after hearing Lee's story? Don't get online. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, you can't help yourself at the end of the day, can you? It's not a rule. (laughs) It's a recommendation, I suppose, at the end of the day. Yes, and Australia really is one of the leading places to have your baby. You're in good hands. So your two are two years old and they're bouncing happy little girls. Absolutely. So what a wonderful outcome. Yes, we couldn't have asked for a better outcome. Wonderful. We'll leave it there. Thank you both for joining us and sharing your very moving experiences. Lee Strong, all the best in raising those twins. And Maddie O'Connor, good luck with your further midwifery. And listeners, if today's content has left you feeling anxious and you need to speak to someone now, please call Lifeline on 131114. This has been Navigating Parenthood, brought to you by HCF. I'm Gretchen Miller. And do check the episode notes if you'd like to know more. And of course, listen to the whole series wherever you're listening from now. And tell your friends to download Navigating Parenthood on their favourite podcast app. See you next time. Life's full of little bumps. Some you can plan for, some you can't. That's why HCF created My Family Packages with flexible extras so you control how you spend on the services you need the most. Visit hcf.com.au today. Waiting periods of up to 12 months apply.